Welcome to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with photographer and photographic educator, Nick Brandreth. Nick is currently the Historic Process Specialist at the George Eastman Museum, where he spends much of his time teaching students about historic and alternative processes such as tintypes, embryotypes, and wet and dry plate collodion negatives, to name a few. When Nick isn't teaching students, you can find him working on various personal photo projects, as well as shooting commercially for brands such as Mercedes-Benz and the Wall Street Journal, to name a few. Nick has a wealth of knowledge about photographic history, so I was excited to get a chance to speak with him. So I hope you enjoy it, and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Nick Brandreth, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man, totally. I'm hyped to be on. It's really yeah. cool. Uh, I, I love this stuff, you know, so it's fun to be out there. And like now we're going to be all up in the interweb. <laughs> there you go. I realized before doing this, I've known you for like over 10 years now, but there's a lot I don't know about you. So I was excited to kind of dig deep and learn more about uh, kind of how you first started in photography and stuff. Um, Sweet, so, man. So I guess just to kind of start off, I was just curious, like, where you grew up and, like, what are kind of some of your earliest memories of photography? Cool. So I grew up in northern New Jersey, uh, right outside of New York City. So it's like, you know, if you, it's funny. It always it makes me laugh. You know, you have Manhattan, and then if you go to the right, you have Long Island, but then you have, like, Queens and all that stuff. So that's just still suburban. You know, it's like it's, it's urban expansion from, you know, the city. And then if you would, but then you go the other way, and it's New Jersey, you know, but yeah. it's still the same, you know, expansion. But so I grew up right outside of the city, so it was cool to kind of have that there. And that was always, you know, it's such a culturally diverse place. So, you, you know, automatically you're influenced by that, like, right off the bat. It's just like a boy that kind of sucks you in there. But, um my earliest memories, you know, my parents and my grandparents were always sort of, um, you know, they were kind of hip people. So they always had whatever might be cool, you know, at the time. So, you know, my grandpa always had a camera. My mom, you know, was always actively taking pictures of us, you know, nothing serious, like family stuff. But like, I've always, always kind of fascinated by technology. So like my earliest memories, and I still have the camera, it's the old Polaroid, what is it? It's a Polaroid Sun 600. That's the first camera that I ever remember taking pictures with. And geez, you know, I, I don't even, I don't remember anything else, but I know I was really young, but just like they would let me play with it. And it was just fascinating. Like, here comes this little, you know, slice of reality <laughs> out of the machine. And then I started, I really got serious about it, probably about 15, 16 years old. Okay. You know, I started, I took like a media arts class in high school. And I thought originally, like, oh, I'm going to be like a film director and make movies. But then uh, a few years later, I like, I saw, I remember, I, I remember the exact moment, actually. There was a, inside the media arts room, there was like a, a poster. It was about like photojournalism. And I was like, what is that? Like, tell me, tell me more. <laughs> you know, I need to know about this. And it was cool because the media arts, that program, my teacher got like, you know, teacher of the year and stuff like that. Her name was Ava Anisi. Mm. And she had, she was really kind of plugged in with the local newspaper. So, you know, that was able to sort of spark, you know, help feed that interest. But then once I got my camera, uh, you know, my hands on a camera, it was just kind of nonstop from there. And we didn't have a formal, like, high, we didn't have, like, a photo program in high school. So, like, we had a digital photography class, but it was by the, you know, uh, we had an art teacher. She was great, but, you know, she was a painting and drawing teacher. She wasn't really a photography teacher, but she was a good photographer, so she was able to kind of, you know, put it together. But So I kind of had to seek it all out on my own. 
and we had a great local camera store called uh, Bergen County Camera. And I just remember riding my bike over there, and I would look at the photo books and all this stuff, and it was just, you know, it was it was like this, we can look at all the stuff, you know, it's like walking the kid in the candy store kind of thing, you know? Yeah, that's and, really cool. And so you started off shooting digital when you first got into it? Oh no, no. So this was high school. So you know, this was you know, I was in high school from I think I was a freshman in high school in the year two thousand. I graduated in two thousand four. Mm-hmm. So I was still, I learned on film. Like the, I still remember the first digital camera I ever saw was at a wrestling tournament. And this lady was taking pictures and she had to like load a floppy disk into the side of it. And like, <laughs> at this point I've been kind of exposed to traditional photography and what we call traditional photography, yeah. you know, 20th century. And I, I was like, Oh my God, like, look at that. Like, whoa, cool. And I remember going again back to like being, a, I like the technical stuff, you know, like, let me see that camera. And, you know, it was, it was neat because it's a, it's a technical science, but then, you know, I, I really was attracted to the being able to do like the art of it. And like mm-hmm. back at that camera store, um, there was a local photographer. His name was Mel DeJacques. And he was like, he shot for like the heavy hitters. Like he's Newsweek, Sports Illustrated, wow. Time, you know, like all the big stuff. And he was, so he was kind of a lot like a local, you know, legend, if yep. you will. And his mentor was Jay Maisel. Wow. And, you know, he was friends with Jimmy Colton at Sports Illustrated and all that stuff. So Mel was super influential. And I, I, I went to Burton County Camera. They had a loose, you know, book of one of his, like a, a mock-up of a new book he was going to put together of just street photography, walking around in people's backyards. And, you know, he would shoot with a 28 millimeter lens on a Leica with a, a flash. And he would sort of like, he would set it at infinity and just kind of like get up in there. And like, you know, uh, it was like, and he had just like the dopest style. And I was so into it. And it was so like evocative, you know, this like, that it was like, like when you think of classic street photography, that was no sort of work. So I rode my bike to his studio, and I, I had my little portfolio because I was friends with all the girls that worked at Motophoto at this point <laughs> when I started taking pictures. So they had developed my, you know, my four by sixes for me, <laughs> pictures of my dog, and, you know, flowers and crap yeah. like that. And I, I go to I go to Mel's studio. I show it to him. He opens it up. He closes it, and he's like, "Don't ever show me this shit again." And I was like, "Oh my god!" Like no one ever talked to me like that before. And I was like, "Oh man." You know, and then so he handed me a roll of tracks to him, and he was like, go. And he's like, just walk up to people and find stuff, you know, okay. and like look around. And he handed me a stack of books, and there was Cartier Brisson, At Jay, and maybe like uh, one or two others, Harry Callahan or something. And that was like, that was the real beginning of it right there, it was like Mel handing me that film and just telling me to go, you know, and then I learned how to develop and print and do all that stuff on my own. And then eventually it was time for RIT. Yeah, that's pretty exciting. It just kind of opened your eyes to like more photographers and what was kind of out there. But this just by kind of giving you those books, I guess, kind of opened your eyes into a different style of photography, I suppose. Absolutely. Like seeing, like in the beginning, like it's like if you think about sports, you know, if somebody teaches you how to hit a baseball or throw a shoot a hoop or do a wrestling move and like they show you the wrong way you mm-hmm. know what i mean like it could ruin you forever yep. but like he started me out by like showing me like the perfect stuff like and he i remember he's like at jay and i couldn't even pronounce it at first and then he i was like at get <laughs> you know and he's uh he's like you'll under, when, when you're ready you'll understand it and like now i get it you yeah. know but back then i was like what are these pictures you know like why do you just take pictures of nothing you know <laughs> and then i'm like oh but like documenting a place that you know and it was uh you know all of that stuff super influential yeah. you know important to see that i think yeah it takes time to uh kind of open your eyes because i know at least for me when i first started um 
taking photos it was all this from um, my friend skateboarding and that's for probably the first 10 years of taking pictures i didn't i didn't know who avadon was or any of these guys the only thing i cared about was skateboarding and like trans world skateboarding and that's about it so um once but i had this i, I had the same thing too because like i was super into that at that point in time like the bmx stuff so like ride bmx magazine and all the trans world stuff and i love looking at the skate magazine too because some of those guys were doing I don't know the way they would light and yeah. capture the action. You know, you know yeah. what it's about. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's pretty interesting. But I guess when you kind of first started taking pictures in high school, what kind of stuff were you photographing? Like for, again, just living right outside of the city, it was just like I just dove right into. I would walk up to any, any you know, because again, you know. I don't know. I just have that personality. I don't care. I'm just like, let's, um, t- you know, let me interact with you. Let's, let me take your picture. I would try to sneak shots. And then, you know, there was a lot of uh, skateboarding and bike stuff and mm-hmm. things like that. And it, one thing led to another, you know, and it was always whatever I was kind of hyped on. If I was really into BMX, like that's the type of stuff I was taking pictures of, you know, going to shows and taking pictures, you know, whatever you, you, the, your typical mm-hmm. 16 and 17 year old stuff. Yeah. No, that's really cool, and I guess I know how I met you was going to RIT, where we both studied photography. Um, how did you kind of decide on end up going to school there? Um, did you kind of already know you wanted to study photography once you kind of were in high school? I guess. Yeah, it was a that was a big decision, you know, because that was a pivotal point for me because I was really competitive as a you know as a wrestler in high school, yeah. and so there was a lot of pressure to you know pick a school and continue to wrestle, but also, you know, my parents were, you know, they, they understood what I wanted to do. And so, you know, they wanted me to go, I'm going to go to college, go get your education in something that you're really going to be passionate about that you can carry, you know, you can carry on and keep going with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, get a good school, but if I can get a scholarship, you know, that's going to help because, you know, college isn't cheap. So I had some offers to wrestle for some colleges and, uh, RIT is division three for wrestling. So you didn't get any scholarship, but, you know, I got in, I applied and I remember, I remember RIT called me on the phone and I, it's interesting because going to the camera store, you know, I'm talking about, Hey, I think I want to go to the school of photography. And they said, you know, the two that people would suggest to be like, Oh, SVA or NYU in the city yeah. or, um, what's it called? Go to RIT and RIT there. Those are totally different programs. And RIT was absolutely the right choice for me because again, you know, that whole, that technical vibe, you know, I just love that. Yeah. Um, and I think some, I don't know if I would have fit in as well as at a, at a more serious, not that RIT wasn't an art school. There's definitely that vibe and that element there, but you know, like the real serious heady kind of art school stuff. I don't know if I fit in. It took me a while to mature too. I was a freaking meathead in college, dude. Like, you know, and it took me a little bit of time to get out of that meatheadness, like after school. I'm like, Oh man, if, if anybody's listening from school and I said anything really stupid, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hey, we, we all we all grow up, man. It's okay. Um, yeah. B- because did you end up wrestling at RIT? I wrestled for the first couple months. Um, I, I had a starting spot on the team. And then uh, we had Elizabeth McDade was my freshman photo teacher. And she, I don't remember exactly how it played out, but something to the extent, like I had to leave for a tournament and she was like, you know, 
she was she was real tough about me leaving. She, you know, she was like, "Are you going to go?" You know, because I'd missed something for the assignment. She was like, "Are you going? Are you here to be a wrestler? Or are you here to be a photographer?" Yeah. And then Dan Larkin, he was also, you know, he just shared an office with her at the time. But Dan became a a good friend of mine, and you know, I, he was the first person I talked to. I quit <laughs> that you know the day of when we were supposed to leave for the first tournament, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. You know, I wasn't training as much, you yeah. know, because I'm, I'm here. I'm, I'm trying to learn. This is what I want to do. You know, I knew I wanted to be a photographer. Like that was it. It was, there was no other question in my mind. So that's why as soon as RT called, it was so exciting. You know, like here's the best photo program in the country. And I might have a shot to get in because of, you know, because of wrestling. And I wasn't, I was a good student, but I didn't always, like, I couldn't take tests. Like, the SATs was the most horrible thing in the world for me. And, um, you know, wrestling helped get me in that door, I think. But, you know, I think, um, you know, being a good student helped too. And it just, getting in there was like, that was like the perfect opportunity for me. And, you know, that was the next sort of step, you know, in trying to figure out, you know, who I was and what I was going to do as a photographer. And there were so many awesome people that went to RIT, you know, ahead of us. And that, you know, when we graduated, mm -hmm. you know, everybody I know that went to RIT now, like I always say, if you put a hundred people in a room in like New York or LA, you're going to spit and you'll hit at least one RIT person, oh, you yeah. know, and everybody that's so talented, but in so many different ways too. Mm -hmm. And like, not, I, I usually say not everybody's going to end up as a shooter, but you end up in all these other places because the industry needs, you know, lots of years to turn. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. Like how you said, you kind of knew you had to step away from the wrestling. Obviously you love it, but if you, if you're going to go to school photography, I think it's one of those things where you got to go all in uh, with it, you know, just because being, even if you're not a shooter, just working in the photography business in general is really competitive. So I think it is important. You, you got to put all your cards on the table, all your chips on the table, you know? Absolutely. And that's what I had to do. And that's what I knew I had to do. It was either I have to, you know, put, uh, I couldn't put 50% in the wrestling and put 50% in the trying to learn how to be a really good photographer. Yeah. I knew I had to put a hundred percent into one or the other. And that's all I did was I just took all that intensity and energy and translated it into, you know, my photography and like the lessons I picked up from doing that, you know, being an athlete growing up, you know, it still, it still sticks with me today. And like it, it carry, it really has carried through and like, you know, my, that work ethic, you know, mm -hmm. that you have, it just sort of, you gotta be relentless if you want to to do it because somebody else is just as hungry and is willing to take that extra step. So, you know, you always gotta be, you know, getting after it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think about that all the time. I'm like, I think about how every, every year there's more kids graduating from like art schools and they're, they're so hungry to get in it. So like you have to be equally or more hungry just to keep doing this, you know, cause it, yeah. it, there's more and more people, um, like the barrier to entry to photography is less and less nowadays just with like digital photography. So it's like, you really have to put in the extra effort. I think nowadays, um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what, what are you going to say? No, go ahead, please. Um, but I guess, like, when you're at RIT, did you kind of have, like, an idea in mind for the type of photographer you wanted to be, or did that kind of evolve over, over time while you were there? It was definitely, I mean, when I first went in, you know, there's, like, you. I think everybody has that romantic idea of being the, the street photographer, photojournalist, mm -hmm. you know, editorial wizard that, you know, gets hired by all the big magazines. And I think that's what everybody starts out sort of dreaming about and then you know you, you kind of have to you don't i don't think you have to narrow your focus but you know what i've learned now is that you have to 
pick something you love and pick something that you care about and you just go with that. And it's about choosing your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're really into outdoor stuff and you're into hiking and camping and, you know, fishing, like go do that stuff and take pictures of it. And, you know, then that just turns into a body of work and then the right person sees it and then you get hired and you shoot a campaign and, you know, it, it, and then it sort of steamrolls from there, but you have to care about that stuff. So if you're super into, you know, hiking and outdoor stuff, you know, you're not necessarily thinking about girls and guys' underwear and yeah. makeup and fashion and things like that. You have to be into it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't care about makeup or perfume bottles. You know what I mean? And not to say that I'm not trying to belittle that. Like, that, that's there. And the people that do it, they do it so well, but it's not, you know, it's not my vibe. Mm-hmm. And so I think I wanted to, you know, do the photojournalism thing. But then, you know, RT, your first two years are, you know, it's just sort of open photo and then, by your third year you choose that concentration and i went in the first day of advertise uh, excuse me uh pj class and i was just like no nah, this isn't for me and i switched into advertising which i think was the, the good move on my part because it's you know working in the studio learning how to control your light you know understanding like look this is the stuff you can expect as a business and like putting a portfolio together and mailers and all the little nuance that sort of goes into it and then you know that healthy technical background because, you know, you get to see all this equipment and you get to touch all the gear that, you know, this is the top of the line stuff that you're just going to go out and you're going to be working with. And you have that advantage over everybody else because you have all this technology. You have the big companies coming in and doing demos and wanting to show you the latest gear, hmm. you know, and then you go out and you're working with it. Whereas, like, you know, some little school out in the Midwest who has a photo program, you know, they're not shooting on phase one backs or whatever the hot thing is at the moment, you know? Yeah. Yeah, def- so I think that made a difference too. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the I, I have the utmost respect for photojournalists. I love looking at it. But for myself, I think the reason I, I went more towards editorial and commercial stuff is because I enjoy being able to like stylize my photos. Whereas if you're like a straight up journalist, you're, you're kind of somewhat confined in what you can do to your images and things like that, you know? Sure. And like you're bound, by, you're, you have, you're, you're there to tell the truth. And like, that's what people, and that's what I figured out because the funny thing is I went into, I thought I was going to do PJ, switched an ad, learned how to do all that stuff. And then when we graduated, um, I got accepted to the Eddie Adams workshop. And from there I ended up getting a chance to shoot for the wall street journal, you know, okay. but because, and then circling back, remember, um, my media arts program in high school, they were plugged in with the local newspaper. So the, the big North Jersey newspaper was the Bergen record. So I, during when I, even when I was in college and I would come home from breaks, I would just nag the photo editor. I'm like, Hey, give me an assignment. Let me do something. Let me shoot. And you know, they would, because they all knew me from wrestling, you know, just three years, two or three years prior, they would send me to the tournament. And because all the people at the tournament, knew who I was because I just graduated two years ago, I could sit on the side of the mat where other people, you know, they would like, get, they'd be like, get the hell out of here. So I, I was able to get these dope shots and send them in and, you know, they would call, oh, hey, he's doing a good job, call him again. And this is when I was kind of in school, but even in school, like, I was trying to pick up photos, like assignments for, remember, it was all press magazine because I was, again, into that music stuff and all that, like, sort of subculture kind of thing. And, you know, I realized I could take that desire to want to, do that street stuff and that PJ style reportage ish stuff. But then, you know, you can kind of package that into that commercial editorial world where again, you don't have to have to, you're not telling the truth, but then, you know, you're crafting these images, 
that you like. But it was funny. I studied the ad stuff, and then mm-hmm. as soon as I got out of school, I started doing more PJ stuff. You know, Eddie Adams' workshop rolled into shooting for the Wall Street Journal, yep. and you know, doing a lot of um, you know just day assignments for them. And I shot all sorts of stuff for them. And I also, when I was in school, I did a lot of work for uh, Mercedes Benz, which carried over outside of school. You know, and doing like sort of corporate media stuff. And you know, because of the that reportage PJ style. Um, you know, they would send me to their corporate events and things like that to document and, you know, yeah. whatnot. And they really, you know, it was cool. It was a good way to make money and to fuel the other stuff that I was trying to think about and do. Yeah, definitely. Do you feel like going to RIT was a useful experience for you? Yeah, I mean, I was pissed when I got out and I had to pay all that money back. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, looking back now, a few years later, it was definitely the, the right decision for me, at least. You know, maybe not everybody else, but um, just because of what you pick up while you're there. And it's not just the school, too. Like, the professors are great and the facilities are awesome, but it's all the network. You know, I, I, can, I can look at just the people that we graduated with, never mind people that were above us or, you know, that graduated after us. And, like, I just have this huge network of people who are out there, you know, killing it, doing great stuff. And it's just fun to kind of watch everybody do their thing. But that was the best part about photo school was everybody else. You know, like, I, I remember, you know, we would see each other in K-Lab or wherever we were. Oh, check this out. Look what I shot. Oh, damn, that's so cool. I got to try something better, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was, you were pushing each other and it was just such an awesome environment. And that's probably the thing I miss the most, you know, now, like not being in school and like being on your own, it gets real lonely, you know, and you want to share stuff with people and you want that feedback. But yeah. like you boys that you hang out with, you know, riding bikes and doing whatever you do when you're not necessarily doing photography, maybe they don't always understand it and you can't show everybody and yeah. talk to people and get that critical feedback. That's so you know, and I think, I don't know, at least I try to seek that out. Through, I try to hang out with other local photographers and, mm. you know, at least now with social media, like I could send you the stuff about, bam, just hit you with a tech, like yeah. look at this thing I just shot. So, yeah. it, it, you know, it, that, that helps. Yeah, I think yeah, it's important to get other people's perspective on your work. You know, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but it is good to get a other other person's perspective on it, especially with, like, editing and stuff. Um, that's one thing I, I always try to talk to people with editing photos because other people have a different look on it. So I think it is important to talk to other people, you know? Totally. And then, like, but you're so, you know, even, you know, I think you get better as you get older because you learn when you know to not have those heavy emotional attachments to things like mm-hmm. i could just be like done cut that picture yeah. but sometimes you are invested in the image you're like oh damn i just love that but you maybe you love the moment and you know you love what you remember about it but it doesn't necessarily fit into the flow of maybe a larger you yeah. know uh thought you know yep. and then that's why your editors are always your best friend mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense and the, the one thing i always found i was, was really interesting was i remember back in the day when we were in school you were like the digital guy like you always i think you had like a 5d or something like that and you were always shooting digital um which but nowadays you're like the film guy so i was just kind of curious oh. when did that transition make, come because i remember <laughs> you were like the photoshop digital guy and i was like the exact opposite during the school I basically shot everything on Hasselblad or 4x5 and then once I got yep. out of school I'm like all digital now so I kind of went the, ex- <laughs> the opposite direction of you well I've always been the type of person that like I, I like to plan and have forethought and like have a goal in mind you know like going back to the sort of like the athletic thing like yeah. you know you train and like you, like you set a goal for yourself and you have to peak at a certain time and you know be prepared for what you're doing 
and it made sense to me. Like I started shooting film, and I, you know, I still, I, I still experimented with stuff. Like if I would pick up some Polaroid film, or you know, I always mess around with that, trying to shoot and create different things. But you know, I really got heavy into the digital stuff because I realized I'm like, I'm gonna get out of school, and all I'm, I'm not gonna have all this awesome stuff anymore. Like all I'm gonna have is these lenses and the things that I've been able to invest in because I, you know, worked over the summertime and things like that. So I had to try to craft my style to fit the gear that I had because this is what I'm going to get out of school with. And this is what I'm going to have to work with initially. So, you know, the digital stuff just made sense. Mm -hmm. But then after, you know, a couple of years of shooting after school, I, I missed, you know, the, the, what really attracted me to photography in the beginning is like, you know, it's so different because it's a, it's, you can use it to make artwork, mm-hmm. but it's also a science, you know, and I love it. It's a technical aspect, all the little nuances that I'm like, I miss that stuff. And I miss making prints and having, you know, tangible objects because I got really good at digital printing and I'd be taking these cool pictures. You know, I'd always shoot like if I was going to go assist on uh, a shoot in the morning while I was waiting, you know, before the call time, I'd get into the city early and just wander around yeah. and shoot street stuff. And then I'd make these dope inkjet prints, and then like it's the same thing every time, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I got tired of that, and I was like, how can I switch this up? So while I was, you know, shooting and assisting and doing all that other stuff, I was really searching for well, what what can I do? Like, where am I going to go in five years? You know, like what's the next step? Like, am I going to try to break out of shooting and assisting and doing this stuff and really not shooting, but you know, start shooting full time? Like that's this yep. is what's carrying me, and I'm a I'm a real photographer now. Or, uh, you know, or am I still going to try to be doing this stuff with Mercedes and hoping the Wall Street Journal really picks up more and whatnot? So um, I was exploring a lot of stuff, and I taught myself how to make digital negatives. So now I can shoot digital, and I can use this HR printer that I have, and I can make these these negatives. You know, so you're using the inkjet ink with transparency to... Um, you can use them for all sorts of historic printing process. Because if you really think about it, this is like the best time to be a photographer because we have 175 years of different things to pick and choose from. Mm-hmm. The only reason most people shoot digital is because it's super cost effective. You know, you don't have to buy film. You don't have to process. You don't have, boom, you got it, and you can transfer it the same night if you have to. Yeah. And, you know, the, um, I lost my train of thought there. Um <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Being able to, oh uh, yeah, right now, you, if you think about it, it's just like a painter or someone who paints or does illustration. Well, you could use oil paint, you could use gouache, you could use watercolor, you can use markers, you can use colored pencils. Like, mm. why do you, I don't understand why photographers feel that they have to limit themselves. I understand why financially, you know, yeah. that makes sense, like fiscally, but, you know, if you think about it, like shooting, making a tintype or making a salt and paper print as your final thing instead of that inkjet print, it's like, it's a, you know, it's just like using a different medium to complete, you know, this thought. And that's how I was like, oh, I want to push it because I'm at that point in time while I was, you know, making good money doing the stuff that I was doing, you know, I was able to survive and kind of pay my bills. And, you know, it was meager, but I was doing it, you know, making money as a photographer. and I could yeah. have fun and buy equipment. Mm-hmm. And um, I wanted to get back to the other stuff. So I took a workshop at the Eastman Museum okay. and I was like, let's. Let's, how can I push, you know, I want to go beyond making these digital negatives and these platinum prints. You know, this was in my uh, now wife's parents' basement at the time. You know, they let me kind of print stuff down there. And I took this workshop at the Eastman Museum. I was like, a tintype, that's the next thing I need to learn how to do. And I was going to, you know, there's, re- there's stuff out there. There's enough, you know, material through history that you can pick up a formula and figure out how to do it. But I called my now boss 
coworker, Mark, on the phone, and I said, hey, I'm, I want to do this. And he's like, slow down, bud. He's like, take one of my workshops, and I'm going to knock a whole year off your learning curve. So I was like, okay, cool. And I saved up, and I, I, I paid for the workshop. And while I was there, he made this sort of like offhand comment, like, hey, I want someone who's going to be an apprentice. Yeah. Not like a, an intern, but like a, an apprentice in like the traditional sense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like you're going to study with the master now. Because he is, in a sense, that like he's one of the sort of modern masters of, you know, this stuff. Yep. And at that time, I'm like, I got to do this. And I came home, and um, I was like, I don't know. He's like, it was, it was a year. He's like, I want someone to be an apprentice for a year, and there's no pay. I'm like, how, how am I going to do this? You know, I'm just starting to... You know, my career, I have good clients. I have something kind of going here. Yeah. And I'm going to leave this all and work for free for a year. Wow. I'm like, I don't know, man. And I talked to my grandma, who was like my best friend. She was the coolest freaking lady. Yeah. And uh, she's like, you know, man, she's like, you got to follow your heart. Do what you love. Follow that hype, you know, that, that, that spark inside. And then two weeks later, she died. And I was like, you know what? That's it. I got to go. Because, like, she, my grandfather passed away. Uh, I was like, I can't leave because I had an offer to move out to California to, to do like photo stuff slash some kind of like graphic design web stuff yep. for this mountain bike magazine because I was deep right after school was deep into that action sports yep. mountain bike stuff, you know, and that, that was a lot of the stuff I was shooting in college. So it just kind of rolled over because that's what I was really into. And I wanted to move away from that because I felt I was, you know, what I had to say was more mature than just, you know, like my homies flying through the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, my grandma passed away and I was like, I, you know, I, I couldn't leave Jersey while she was still alive because, you know, I didn't want to leave her by herself. Not yeah. that my family, you know, yeah. we didn't leave her destitute. I just see, I couldn't be, be not there. be there or something happened. Yep. So she passed away and that was the sign to go. And I saved more money any day that I wasn't like shooting or doing something or assisting or doing something photo related. I worked with a landscaping construction crew. So I was working seven days a week to save money to move up there to Rochester. And I did it. Wow. And then at the end of that year, they hired me. You got a job now. We like what you do. And I was able to, you know, I, I'm a quick learner. You know, the tech, I'm, I'm coachable. You know, yeah. it comes back to being an athlete as a kid. You know, I pick stuff up very quickly and teaching people like I can break stuff down into simple steps in my head very fast. And yep. it's easy for me to kind of give that back. So teaching workshops like that's my full time gig. And it allows me to make the work that I've always been passionate about, you know, I have that ability to create now. You know, yeah. I kind of look at it like a, it's like a sports sponsorship, you know. So like <laughs> I play for the Eastman Museum, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, that's pretty amazing, man. You kind of just went off your gut. Was like taking that initial um, workshop with uh, Mark. Was that it? Is kind of like a light bulb went off for you? It was just like yeah, you just, big time. It was just like a pow. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were you doing in that first initial workshop? It was just tin types. Just making tin types, and like so, we made the tin types. I still have the first two, and it was cool because uh, you know I didn't really know too much about it i just had read about it and mark is such a fantastic teacher like he taught sally man wesley and he he's really he's the one he taught the first collodion workshop that's kind of started this whole movement because you're seeing a lot more photographers now that are moving to shooting wet plate stuff they're, they're trying these different you know we, we call them historical and alternative processes but yeah. really all it is is it's just it's photography you're just you're using you're using a different brush and a different palette and a different type of paint, you know, to create something. It it all still works the same, but there's a lot of nuance that's kind of different, you know. And I could I could chew your ear off all night about that stuff. But <laughs> yeah. when I got there, I was like a sponge, man, because like it was like 
you know, that's the starving artist scenario. Like it was kind of like, you know, I knew like I took such a gamble in myself. That yeah. I'm like, if I come up here, like, oh man, it was crazy. Heather's mom was going through, I was living with my girlfriend at the time. She's my wife now. Uh, her I was living with her parents. Her mom was going like battling, you know, uh, stage four or stage three colon cancer. Right. And because I was freelancing, I was able to take her to the, you know, I would drive her to chemo and stuff. Mm-hmm. I would have, you know, just worked out with the schedule. So I left and they're like, you have to go and do this. And like, so I left them and, you know, poor Heather and her mom. And, you know, I'm up here and I'm renting a room from a friend of mine. And he moved out like a couple, like a month after I did. So I rented a whole house from him. And I was like, I'm paying for internet. I didn't, I would keep the heat like just on. And Rochester's <laughs> cold, man, you know. Yeah. I would keep the heat on just enough so the pipe wouldn't freeze. <laughs> you know, I would just, I would just read at night. And like, I was obsessed. Like that, that drive, I was like, this is it, man. Like if I want to, if I want to make this happen, like I have to strike now, like right in the jugular. <laughs> I, I like it, man. You're, you're, yeah, once you, you just kind of got to go with your gut. I think that's the thing I always enjoyed about your photography. Um, like you were saying earlier, you just have to shoot what you enjoy. And it's been interesting to kind of see like the progression of your work. Cause like you said, it started off, you're shooting kind of like your friends riding bikes and stuff. And then it kind of moved into more like journalism things. And now you're doing all, all these really interesting projects with all your like, uh, like, uh, old alternative processes and stuff. So it's kind of, it just kind of keeps it exciting for you. Just kind of continually keep learning new, new stuff. You think? Absolutely. And I think that's like part of being, a. I'm not going to say uh, like an artist, but like just being a creative person is like you always have to try to continue to evolve, you know, and it's about, you know, part of it's about maturing, you know, because I think we mature throughout our entire lives. Like if I look like, remember how I said, you know, in college, I was such a goon, you know, <laughs> and, <laughs> and like even after school, like I matured a little bit and like, I always think stuff goes in like, you know, I look at it in like four years, like cycles. So like, you know, I have four years of high school and four years of college, four years of being a professional, you know, four years of moving up here to the museum. And this was kind of like my unofficial, like, master's degree in yeah. a way. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of looked at it like that because you can't go anywhere else and study. I really, you know, I, that was a one in a million chance. But, like, I landed where I did at that point in time. But I saw the opportunity and I, you know, I seized it. And it was, you know, it was such a good thing because it really helped me mature, you know, as an artist and as a person you know, a creative photographer. And uh, like I said, now having that stability of a job, because freelance is awesome. You know, you can have a, you know, you can have a 10, 20, $30,000 month, and then you can have a $0 month. Oh, yeah. And that's terrifying. Yeah. But like, you know, having that consistent paycheck, having health insurance, you know, was really important because I didn't have health insurance when I was freelancing. Mm-hmm. Like having all that, like that stability, you yeah. know, like to like, okay, now I can do this. And, you know, it's a flexible enough job and I get to do photography every single day. So Mm -hmm. like teaching people, you know, I help give other people the tools they need to push their creative vision. So like they talk to me about the stuff that they're into and I talk to them about the stuff I'm working on. So it's like I've almost come back around and I, I have that you know, uh, that thing we talked about, like when you're in school and you have all the people to kind of share and bounce ideas off of, because, you know, I'll teach two or three workshops, you know, two workshops a month and two or three private tutorials. So, you know, I meet, you know, two or three dozen creative, artistic, you know, wild people every, yeah. you know, every couple of months. And some people come back and they've become really good friends and I share my work and my, you know, via email and things like that. And it's, um, that's it's exciting. been really great, but I, every person that comes through and, uh, you know, they, they learn something. I, every time I help someone 
make a print or make a negative or something like that. It's like practice for me. So again, it's back to that, yeah. you know, ferocity and training, you know, as an athlete. So every time I do it, I just get better and better and better. Yeah. And I'm only 32 years old now. So my boss Mark is in his sixties, you know, so if I keep doing this till I'm 60, then I feel like I have the opportunity to like, I could be that, that master, you know? Oh that yeah, man. Kind of seek me out. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, I mean, we just, uh, we graduated 10 years ago this year and I feel like I kind of just started. I don't know about you. I kind of feel like that all the time. Like I, I'm just starting for every year. I feel like I'm just starting from square one, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. You just kind of, you continue to keep building on it, I guess. Um, but like, I guess once you kind of got the, once you got your job at the George Eastman house, which I think now they call it the George Eastman Museum. George Eastman Museum. Yeah. We're supposed to make sure people call it that. Yeah. Yeah. George okay. Eastman. more things. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you kind of got there, were you kind of comfortable from the get-go teaching people? Um, because that is a real uh, skill. Because like, you can have knowledge, but being able to convey it to people in a way that's um, easy to understand, especially with people that have never done like certain things. Sure. Was that something that kind of took you a while to get better at? Or were you... not? Not at all. Like I was a, I was a, you know, I was a fish in water at that point because I, you know, graduated school. You know, when you when you first get out of college and you're trying to break into something as sort of strange as photography, it takes a while to build your network and connections and, mm -hmm. you know, get callbacks and things like that. Yep. So, you know, I coached wrestling for a little while. And, like, again, coaching, you know, it, 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 okay, this stuff makes sense. So I understand the, the photo process. So it's just I just have to coach you through it. And, like, the whole thing, you know, it, it's funny, man. Like, every experience you have, and, like, no matter how crappy your assignment is or how boring it is, every experience you have helps you build and grow. You know, when I was shooting with the Mercedes stuff, they would send me to these customer one training events, like, all over the country. Texas, L.A., Illinois, you know, Florida, uh, Long Island. And it was the same thing over and over again. And it was about their customer one initiative which mm -hmm. was to ensure that, you know, you're selling luxury cars, you need to make people feel awesome, about, and you want them to come back, yep. you know, and buy another luxury car from you. So they would take all the dealers from those areas, but, you know, and I just listened to the same thing over and over again, but listening to that, and it's about customer service, because when you're, even when you're trying to appease a client, you know, that's one thing when you're doing that, you know, editorial photo thing, but when you're just the average person, like your mom, come and take one of my workshops. Anybody, you just have to be curious and want to learn something. So you have to be able to approach people, you know, who are really nerdy and really smart about photography and then people who don't know anything. Yep. And, you know, having, being comfortable and, you know, being able to make the really smart person who probably knows more about you than photography, make him feel fuzzy and make him feel good. And then, you know, the person who doesn't, you know, him or her, you know, make them also feel nice. So it's, you have to wear a different mask. So you, I have to be, you know, um, I have to be an expert of photography, but I also have to be an expert host because you're coming in the museum. I have to make sure that they're comfortable. You know, we give them drinks, snacks, yeah. and, you know, we tell good stories and, mm -hmm. you know, so I have to provide a really good time. So customer service is like super a part of what we're doing. It's almost like hospitality in a way. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I, I'm the type of guy, I say, you could drop me in Afghanistan and I'll be able to make friends. You know, I just like, <laughs> yeah. I can, I can go anywhere, man. And I just, I like to talk, and I just think I'm a, you know, I try to be a genuine person. I'm not a dickhead, so, mm -hmm. you know, it's easy to talk about stuff. And if we're, you're here to talk about photography, and 
obviously, as you can tell, I have no problems. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah. Like being a teacher is a real skill because I certainly had, I took a lot of classes at RIT and, you know, I learned a lot, but there were certain classes where, um, I, I don't think the teacher really did a good job because obviously he, he was, he was real knowledgeable in what he did and was an expert or whatnot, but that he was not able to convey it in a way to someone who doesn't know anything, you know? Um, yeah. So and that's why I approach it. I, yeah. I try to think, like, how can I explain this to my mom? Like, someone who doesn't know anything about photography, yeah. how can I make this easy for you? And I'm, I think I'm pretty good at mm -hmm. doing that, and yeah. I, I really love it. You know, it's like it's something, you know, to, to, to it feels good. And I, I always thought, like, because, you know, I take to this stuff very easily. Like, some people... You know, they look at a piano and they just see music and they see notes and it makes sense. Like I look at chemicals yeah. and light and it just it just clicks, but it does. So I just <laughs> I run with that and you know I try to make people feel good about it and I love it. So and I think that that makes the biggest difference too is like people see how freaking amped I am. Like it's the <laughs> best thing in the world, dude. Like I am the luckiest guy yeah. in the whole planet. Like I get to do photography and create and I have you know. Mm -hmm. It's just amazing, you know. Yeah, no. And helping other people, yeah. you know, push their vision forward is the best thing about it for me too. Yeah, definitely. And with the George Eastman Museum, um, I know you guys offer like a bunch of different uh, like workshops and stuff. Like, what are kind of some of the workshops that you guys do? And are they like changing every year? Is it kind of different? Or? Sure, absolutely. Like, so every, and we're actually planning schedule for next year right now. And we do, we, the way, what I tell people is I can teach you anything from before 1839 all the way up until now. So, like, things that happened when people were first thinking about, like, arresting light and, you know, capturing images to, like, all the way up to the digital negatives. So anything in between, we can help you do, with the exception. Like, we can't make color film. We can't make Kodachrome. You know, dye transfer material doesn't really exist anymore. So there are certain things that we can't do, but there's a lot of stuff that we can do. Mm -hmm. So we have, we'll list, you know, usually 18 to 20 something public workshops throughout the year. And then we also offer private tutorials and guided research. I, um, often people will say like, Hey, I really want to take your, your Dalton dry plate workshop, but I just can't get there. And so for a, a more fee, you can come and do it whenever you want as long as there's a space that's available. And some people prefer that because they have something very specific in mind that they want to do or learn about and do that. You know, and other people are just like, hey, it's, it's, you know, I, I don't get around other people. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, there's things to be said about both. So one, we'll make perfect stuff every single time, almost every single time. And, you know, you'll learn a lot. But then when you're in a workshop situation, it's great because, and this is especially for me, like I get to see so many mistakes and like mm -hmm. all the different ways people can jack stuff up. So that makes me even stronger at troubleshooting. Mm -hmm. So I get to see eight mistakes throughout a workshop. But when you're in a workshop like that, if there's six to eight other people, you get to see six to eight other people do the, the, the process and you can see them mess up or succeed in different ways. And, you know, it's like, oh, damn, like that's a good way to do it. I'm going to try to modify techniques to that you know so it's really cool i had people and people come from all over the world most of our clientele is not necessarily local to rochester like i had a guy come from north carolina mm. uh i had a day with me for a week from uh the netherlands and we get i had a last summer came and spend a week from japan wow. like people come from all over the world to do this stuff and it's like a pilgrimage to you know because rochester you know kodak's here and the eastern music like 
into photo city. Yeah, that's awesome. Because I even I saw you guys do like interesting workshops. You'll take people like on the Erie Canal for like a I think it's like a three or four day workshop where you guys camp and shoot uh, uh, photos and stuff like that. You'll do those trips too, right? Yeah. So we have two because like, it's really cool. Like it's like again, the why I have one of the best jobs is that I kind of have carp to do what I want. And if I come up being feasible and with money, we can do it. So uh, one of the things that we did was uh, we had, uh, like you said, the Erie Canal. It's actually a five days. And we start in Midden, right outside of Rochester, and we float on the Erie, go through the locks and different things. But we stop at different points, get off, and we make tents. And this was influenced by um, this group called the Philadelphia Exchange Club, which was a group of people uh, at the turn of the century who would um, go along the canals in Philadelphia and get off and make tin types and make early dry plate, like homemade dry plate emulsions. And they have stuff in the collection at the museum where we're able to see these things and learn from them. And it's cool because that's the best part about our workshops. There's lots of places to go and do tin type workshops and all these other things. But yeah. at some point during our workshop, we take you into the museum and we look at actual pieces from, you know, specific time periods of photography. So you get to see, like, you make something, and then you get to see the actual thing that somebody made, and you can see how long it's lasted and how it's been preserved. And, you know, you can't go anywhere else and see that. You know, we have such it's, it's a world for photo. You get to do a photo workshop that you get to see something in the collection. It's the best. And another workshop that we do is we go down to Letchworth State Park, and we camp overnight in the cabins there, yep. and um, we make gelatin dry plates. Wow. And then we develop them in a dark, you know, we have an ice fishing tent and we bring the chemistry right there. And, you know, I take you out. I'm like your trail guide <laughs> and your <laughs> your photo assistant um, throughout the week. And we make all the plates ahead of time. And, you know, we actually tell people that's the best for your buck as far as our workshops go. Because, you know, you have to have a place to stay Monday night and Friday night. And the other nights of the week, we feed you and, you, you know, a cabin to stay in at a state park, you know. It, it's not... Gonna say like one of the things is we make all the plates at the beginning, you mm -hmm. know, so uh, you don't get a chance to you know coat plates like you would if you took the normal gelatin workshop. But they're all they all have a different flavor and they're all for a different audience. We had one where we would go up to Camp Sagamore in the Adirondacks, yep. and uh, we would bring plates, and it was that was like a it was good glamping, stay in these this beautiful lodge that was the Vanderbilt Estate back in the day, and it's oh, super great. But we have uh, sometimes workshops. They fill and they sell out really well, and then other times they, um, you know, we'll only get a couple people in them. So mm -hmm. you know, we kind of talk about it like farming. You know, mm -hmm. we have some fields that are growing and doing well, and then oh, this one's not going so well. So you turn that field off for a little while. Yeah. So you know, we won't teach a workshop for a couple years, and then we'll we'll bring it back again, and you know, because it it lets it builds up some interest in it. You know, like oh, you know, oh, they haven't taught that in a while. I got to get in there and take that class. Yeah. And one thing, like, what do you think it is? Why is it important to keep teaching people these old, like, uh, photographic processes? Um, like, obviously, it's like the digital age and whatnot, but why do you think it's important for people to, uh, you know, keep keep learning about these old processes? Because it's an evolution. And if you really think about it, you know, it's like every, like, eventually digital photography is going to be the old process and there'll be something new, you know? And it's, it's important because everything builds off of something else. Like, the reason... CCD sensors and like the way that they're working is because you know people thought about color photography early on and then you know electronics caught up and it's the history of it's very important and I think if you're going to be into anything you should know a little bit about the history of what you do because you know that helps you again mature and grow 
as a, you know, with whatever you're doing. If you're in model planes, you should know about the history of model planes, you know, mm-hmm. and because it might influence you to, to do something that you never thought about before. That could be the thing that makes you sort of take off. But also it's important to not forget these things because if in two from now, nobody's, no, you know, nobody taught people how they made gelatin emulsions and how they made tintypes, like, they're not going to know, you know. Yeah. So that's why the museum is important because it's like if you want to know how they made rugs in the 17th century, you can still go to somewhere maybe in England where they have a loom that still works or something like that. But you you can't see how a, a, a film coating factory works, you know, because it's corporate espionage. They didn't want to give away any of their secrets, yeah. and you can't give away that equipment because it's all none of it's patented and it's all special and super technical, and it's actually more cost effective to chop it up and throw it out the side of the building than it is to donate to a museum so there's certain parts of photography and that's the scary thing like we might you know you might lose but they stop making color film like that'll never come back man yeah. like it's like people don't realize like it costs ten twenty thousand dollars just to turn on the machine like, oh, yeah. you're not doing up not even making film like just spilling the line you turn that machine off mm-hmm. you have to silver from the line and that costs you know 10 grand worth of silver just that in a tube you know it's like oh goodness and you know Kodak was making film 24-7, 365, you know, big, big runs. Like, now they think about scaling back and just making a little bit here to, you know, sort of sustain what demand might still be there. But it's important because, you know, having a tangible, physical object, you know, and I think we always joke about this stuff, but, like, and this was a big thing for me, you know, I used to be Mr. Digital, still use digital photography. It's a great tool and it's a fantastic medium, but Mm -hmm. for me, the the images that I'm making, they're so important to me. I want to make sure that they're around. And I would be willing to bet if you ask a hundred photographers, how many people made prints, you know, I bet you'd say only about 10 of them still make physical. Yeah. I've always been about that. Making prints, making prints, making prints. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's important. Like you said, it's like, uh, the protecting history and whatnot. Um, I have been seeing, it seems like there's kind of like a little resurgence with film. I've been noticing it more. Obviously it's still like a niche. It's like not that many people, but it seems like in the last few years, I've been seeing more, more and more people, um, shooting film and different, like, film, photo, blogs, and whatnot. Totally, man, because people are hyped on it, because now, and like, digital was the the enemy of film, and it was also its best friend, because now what happened is you had this stopgap in time, where now there's literally an entire generation of kids who never had experience or never were exposed to film or analog photography, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, now it's it's interesting to them, because it's this old, there's a mystique to it. You know, we grew up, you know, your mom had a camera, she took pictures of you a couple times a year, would take them to moto photo and then a pack of you know four by six glossy prints would be there and you could thumb through them there's kids that never experienced that you know and that's also a danger because nowadays think about how many of your friends now have kids right they, and they're always they got a hash they got a, they, they got a hashtag on instagram now for <laughs> exactly you got a hashtag on instagram but you don't have any prints of your kids so in 10 years when your phone breaks and that computer dies or apple they're already doing it, bro. When Apple doesn't make USB 2 or 3 anymore and they're using FireWire 9, you know, like, I can't get these pictures off those old hard drives. Oh, yeah. But guess what? I can still go downstairs in the basement and look at the shoebox full of all pictures of my grandparents. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's it's important for sure. And um, also, I was kind of interested in talking to you about, because I know besides all the work you do at the Eastman Museum, you're always shooting your own personal projects. And um, I know one project you were shooting um, just a few years ago was, uh, I believe it's just called Upstate. 
Um, what was that project all about, and like, how did you kind of come to start working on that? So for me, the kind of the evolution of that was right after. So I, the the beginning of Upstate started right, you know, as I was saving money to move up to Rochester. So my grandma died, and naturally I was quite, you know, sort of depressed. And to control myself, I would spend a lot of time. Any day that I wasn't shooting or assisting, you know, I would go and I would just go out in the woods. And fortunately, where I grew up in New Jersey, you know, you could within a few minutes get to a, a nice park or, you know, just be out away from people. So I would just I would be spending all this time alone, you know, or with my dog out in, you know, in the woods, in nature. And it was a great way to kind of relax myself and, you know, kind of uh, prepare for the next stage. And as I was out there, you know, I, I spent a lot of time along rivers and waterways. And that's always been a big thing. I grew up, my dad fly fished, so I spent a lot of time, you know, out in the country with him while he was fly fishing, just kicking rocks on the side of a river and stuff. And uh, fracking was a big thing that was going on. Uh, you know, it, it was a a hot button kind of issue at the time and you know for, and i started and doing for, more research about it yeah and for people li- yeah for people listening like what is fracking so fracking is a it's a acronym it's a, it's a sort of nickname for high pressure hydraulic fracking so when you drill an oil well traditionally you drill straight down yeah. and then bang what they would back in the day they would drop dynamite down there but now they might have a drill bit that goes down right they might push water and some other chemicals in but normally it goes straight down and then you slurp up whatever in that little pit where you have oil, right? Yeah. Fracking is getting is getting gas. So there's a certain type of rock along the northeast and things like that, and out west where it's uh, it's shale, and in the shale it's very porous. So there's pockets of gas. And what they figured out that they drill down, but then they turn sideways and they drill sideways underneath all the shale. They put high pressure water and chemicals to break apart the rock, right? And then they slurp out the gas, and then, you know, they get gas that way. But in the process, things get left behind, well casings crack, and all number of bad stuff can go wrong with this. And it affects water and stuff like that. And uh, it's been a real big deal. And it's kind of terrifying to me because, you know, again, I don't want to get political, but a lot of the stuff, you know what I mean, like China, you know, they're taking away things with the EPA and stuff like that. And, you know, we can find a new source of energy instead of oil. We can find a new source of, you know, materials and papers and things like that. But there's nothing that replaces water, right? So water was super important. And growing up near New York, you know, now I'm living in Rochester, and Rochester or upstate New York has the Finger Lakes. Mm-hmm. They have uh, Lake Herio. There's major waterways. All the water for the East Coast, you know, the aqueducts for, like, New York City, where they want to frack and move frack gas and things like that, you know, through New York City's water system. And, like, that was crazy to me. And I was like, how could they do this, you know? And, like, <laughs> um, so I wanted to make a project about it because I was like, you know, as, again, maturing and learning that, you know, when I first started taking pictures and doing stuff, I was like a juggernaut. Like, I would just grab something like, this is what I'm hyped on, and I just run with it. So, you know, music, man, bikes, mm-hmm. you know, street photography. And then, you know, I got beat up for a while because I would go to like portfolio reviews. I had an interview with reportage at Getty and they're like, you know, your pictures are great, but you know, I'm kind of all over the place. I needed more focus. You know, I needed to connect with the subjects more instead of sort of, you know, being an outsider that was able to kind of penetrate a subculture a little bit, you know, I needed to really get into it. So I learned, I was like, okay, you really got to 
I learned how to focus and sort of hone myself, you mm-hmm. know, still be that juggernaut, but have a wider sort of periphery about what needs to get done. Mm-hmm. So, and the Kickstarter was, became, you know, that was, you know, I was like, this is the way to do this because I, I had a really big idea for this. So I, I did a Kickstarter campaign. I raised $8,000 wow. and I used all the skills that I had gained over the past couple of years working at the museum. And I'm like, I'm going to put all, this is it. You know what I mean? It was the culmination of all that crap since college and high school is going into this little thought right now. Mm. You know, everything, you know, all these little parts and pieces, I'm going to make all this stuff and it's going to be great. And I had all these big ambitions and ideas. And then I shot the project yeah. and I shot for a year, you know, and I went all over the state and I saw all sorts of stuff. And, you know, I, Sometimes when you ask big questions, you find big answers, yep. and you don't like what you find. Mm-hmm. And it kind of crushed me because it was like I saw, I learned so much about the gas and oil industry, mm-hmm. and really the gas and oil industry in the world was born out of southwestern New York and northwestern Pennsylvania. The first commercial gas well is in Fredonia, New York, and the first commercial oil well is in Oil City, Pennsylvania, which is right you know south of there. And I had a friend who had. Um, property down in the southern tier so along the pennsylvania border where fracking was a free-for-all mm-hmm. and this was on the eve of like the four-year moratorium they said we're not gonna we're not sure we're gonna let people frack in new york state yet so i was like this could forever be changed if they decide we're gonna allow fracking to happen yeah. so I, that's why i'm making these pictures and in my mind it was a documentary about the landscape not about people but the landscape itself because this could be forever changed in my opinion if they allow this serious gas drilling to happen because yeah. you know going down to hang out with my buddy at his cabin and there's all sorts of oil infrastructure down there because again that's where the oil and gas industry started and we could you know i'm really into mountain biking and we'd be riding trails down there and you see like an oil jack just like in the woods you know somebody just leaves it there yeah. and it's it's scary man and like you know those wells are open but like people don't think so if you have an oil well that somebody their company went bankrupt and they didn't cap the well and it's just sitting out there and now 10 miles away over in Pennsylvania they're fracking and maybe some of that gas is being released because there's that open sore you know from that oil well and we don't necessarily know how it's really going to affect us and it was a scary thing and like it just it, it screwed me up I was like damn and then I finished the project I was like you know, I got beat up by it, and now I had to make all these rewards for people. And it took me forever to get all the rewards out, and I felt so bad that it took so long, but it was like, you know, I'm only doing this on the weekends and mm-hmm. after work is when I have time to print all this stuff, and some yep. of these processes yep. take a really long time. Like making a salt print, you know, one print can start to finish with all the stuff you have to do for it. It could take like two hours, maybe, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? And then it's dry and all that stuff. Yep. So doing all this stuff and then being sort of like crushed by the project, it was it was rough, you know? So I kind of took a step back from there and I was like, I don't know if I really want to, you know, try to do that documentary. Because in my mind, you know, I wasn't political, but I had a political idea when I was like sort of shooting that. I don't know if I want to say political, but, yep. you know, it was charged by a, a, a certain type of issue. And I was like, you know what? I need to walk away from that. Mm-hmm. And now the new stuff that I'm shooting, I call it more like fictional narrative, yep. you know, because I've been so influenced, you know, I, I originally wanted to make movies, you know, so I've been so influenced by movies and cinema and all that stuff that the new stuff is about, like, they feel like movies, you know, and that's what I wanted to sort of create and keep my style because this whole time, you know, from school, you know, and through shooting after school and then, you know, working at the beginning in the museum, like that was all about, you know, and we always talk, people always talk about with photography, finding their voice, you mm-hmm. know, and the thing that they're, they're saying, like, I think there's 
some people have voice and some people have style. When you're really successful, when you have both, you know, you have the style and you have something to say. Yep. And I had really developed my style over the years, but now I finally have something to kind of say, even though it's funny, you know, I really shifted. It's all horror type stuff <laughs> yeah. because again, following that hype and that thing that makes me feel good. I've always loved creepy things and ghost stories and urban legends and, mm -hmm. you know, history and all that stuff that like goes along with it. So, and I love horror movies and Halloween. So I was like, this is it, man. I'm going to do this, you know? Yep. And then I figured too, like the amount of people, because I'm making these cool objects and I make these cool prints and uh, the amount of people who might buy a print or uh, an object or, you know, that I'm making, um, I wish you could see my hands. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's this many people. It's a small amount of people who might buy social documentary about fracking in upstate New York. But yep. they're beautiful pictures, but, yep. eh, I don't know why I want to hang a picture of an oil jack on my wall. Yeah, but yeah. then, you know, oh, look at that creepy, gnarly monster, and it comes in this cool box. Like, yeah. I need that. You know? Yeah. Like, ah, that's it. But I think it's good. It's good. It's like uh, it's like balance. Like you, like you said, at the time you were interested in kind of the fracking thing, so you explored that, and now you're doing something a little more, a uh, little more fun, and still just kind of exploring a new way to photograph and like tell stories. And um, who, who's to say like down the line you might do some more political stuff? You never know. It's just kind of exactly just following whatever you're interested in the time, and you kind of kind of learn from each project, I suppose. And one of the things I love about horror as a genre is that, you know, if you think about it, like, it doesn't, you can add certain messages and ideas into your photographs or the imagery, like, say, you're making horror movies. Like, if you look at Night of the Living Dead, right, that's not about zombies, you know, it's about social change and, you know, things like that in the 60s in America and stuff like that, you know, sure, there's zombies, but there's an underlying message there. So you can kind of plug that stuff in and, like, in some of my pictures now, I had someone sew all these, like, colt robes. And, like, the pictures kind of start in the woods and they sort of leave the forest and start penetrating, you know, suburban, modern life and things like that. And there's certain ways that I feel about things that might be happening, you know, and the cultists kind of represent an idea in my mind. But it's cool. You don't see that. You see these creepy pictures and you know they kind of tell uh, their own kind of story but mm -hmm. you know i i put my certain emotions and things that i'm feeling you know it's like you can go on the internet and watch cops kill people and yep. you know people shoot people out of windows and planes hitting buildings so it's like how do you process that stuff you know we see so much imagery now and you can just get pummeled with it and it's like how do you process it you know and like certain mm -hmm. people deal with it in different ways and like for me it's like i'm gonna make these creepy, horrible pictures because certain aspects, you know, make me feel creepy and horrible. You know, like thinking about like the oil and gas stuff, you know, I felt like taking that, that, that crappy feeling that I had, you know, and kind of putting it into these pictures that are kind of creepy, but they're delightful, but they're, you know, there's something, you know, they're not for everybody. Some people look at them and they're like, Nick, what the fuck is wrong with you? Party? I don't know if I can curse. <laughs> no, <you can't. laughs> they're like, I don't I don't know what's wrong with you, man. And I'm just like, but, you know, they're like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, dude, it's cool. <laughs> but yeah. all the stuff that went into it was really fun, too, because, like, I thought about it like I was making a movie. So, like, early early last January, I confirmed that so I'm going to have a show for this stuff in October. Okay. And I confirmed with the guy who owns the gallery. He's like, look, you got, sure, you can have the space in October. Mm -hmm. So all throughout the winter, I used that as, like, pre-production. I had the, the robe sewn. I made all these crazy masks. Like, they first, I started out making these, like, horn monster masks with, like, paper mache and cardboard, and I would glue fake fur to them. Yeah. And they look awesome because, I, again, I'm, I've always been uh, – you know, I can draw very well, I can sculpt really well, and so, like, this stuff, 
you know, a lot of this historic process stuff, it's very physical. It's very hands-on. You know, you're pouring your plates by hand. You're, you're mixing things. So uh, having those tangible, we call it uh, niceties, you know, but like it's a 19th century term for craftsmanship. You know, I'm good with a lot of different things. So I made these crazy latex scarecrow masks, and I'm going to have them all in the gallery. But we used all these things that we made, to, you know, for the photographs. And then, um, uh, what was I gonna say? I'm losing my train of thought. I'm just again, I'm I'm hyped, man. I know, so, man. You're uh, yeah. It's just because like looking at even with like all the different processes you do in the new project you're doing, where you're doing this horror thing, you're making masks, and you're even doing some stuff. I think with like some like LED lights and stuff is like yeah. Some of the masks light up. <laughs> do you think is it that's just kind of half the fun for you? Is this kind of like kind of building stuff with your hands, and that's kind of is that all kind of this part of the fun for you you think oh sure i mean it's definitely about for me it's about having fun because like if you, you got to do something right so you might as well enjoy what you're doing and it, I'm, I'm a student of life you know i'm constantly learning and absorbing and like understanding different things so like learning how to you know uh, make circuits and things like that to put the LED lights together and you know some of the boxes that i'm making so like the way i'm presenting everything and again, I love history, so I was really influenced by, like, pre-cinema stuff. So, like, what would people do before you could go to the movies? And I remember in H&A photo class with Ken White, he was like, he talked about the Phantasmagorias. And they were, like, this, like, pre-cinema, uh, it was horror theater. So people would go, and they would have magic lantern projections of, like, skulls and demons and stuff. Yeah. And people have never seen any of that stuff. So like they must have been bamboozled, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I, I love the idea of that. So like creating this spectacle, you know, and this like event where you can, you know, thrill people. So um, one of the things that I really love was peep shows, you know, like the Viewmasters when you're a little kid. Yep. So I make these things out of bookboard and wood that um, I I make my two by five negative, right? So I, I make my glass negative, and then I contact print on an unexposed plate, and I get a positive on glass. I back that with frosted glass, but I, I, I hand grind the glass, and I back that, create this little package, and then you can drop this into these little viewers that I've made, and you can look at these different scenes. So people can collect one view or multiple views, because there's a whole story that goes along with this. Yeah. And we're making a book, we made a short movie to go with it, yeah. but you know, I'm involved in every little step because again, that has to do with that sort of juggernaut intensity where like, I want to control all these little aspects because yeah. it's a bigger idea. Like the photography is just like, that's, that's my medium. You know what I mean? But like, I'm, you know, I'm creating this in my mind. It's like a movie production, you know, but I'm taking, you know, I want it to feel like a comic book mm -hmm. and I want it to feel like a movie, but with still pictures, you know, how do you combine that? And the peep shows are so neat because it has a little lens in it yeah. and I mount the lens backwards because uh, you only get a center focus then. You don't get a, not, not everything's tack sharp. So you have to kind of search through the picture and it's backlit, okay. you know, with that transmitted light. And, um, they're so they're so kind of cool, but when you put your eye up to that little hole and you focus on the plate inside, I, you've left the room. You know, mm -hmm. and you're no longer there. And I, I, that's what I really struggle with because like anybody can just like you said, now photography is so accessible. Anybody can make prints, so anybody can go out and make you know take a mask and go to the woods and take a picture and then make a print and put it on the wall. Yep. But I take that all. I'm trying to for me because it's about you know pushing myself is uh, I try to take that a step further. You know, automatically my pictures are going to look different from everyone else's because I'm using a view camera mm -hmm. and I'm shooting these little plates, right? So it's like I can control, I do all the focus manipulation and stuff so I can really shape 
the picture and force you to see what I want you to see. Mm-hmm. And then to take that stuff and then so it looks different and then being able to have you look at the picture and then, you know, you're inside this little black box and like you've left the room. Like I've completely taken you out of there and just put you in this little scene that I've created for you. Mm-hmm. And then when you step away, now you're back in the room and that, that little world still exists there, you know, waiting for you when you have the courage to go back and look at it. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a, uh, it's exciting stuff, man. And um, I guess just to kind of start wrapping up, like looking at like everything you've done so far, like since you got out of school, like shooting for the Wall Street Journal and all this the commercial stuff with like Mercedes. And now you're working at the Eastman Museum. Um, what kind of keeps you excited about p- photography and what kind of keeps you going? And uh, I guess like what are you looking forward to doing in the future, you think? You know, it's uh, it's from... For me, again, it's just about having fun. You know, I have always, we have to, you know, at least I'm not, we're not one of the fortunate ones who don't have to work and not have a job. Mm-hmm. You know, I got to work and I got to pay my bills somehow. And I, so I figured I'm going to do it the way that I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But when I first started out at the museum, you know, I thought about it like, you know, it's like that classic Kung Fu scenario, you know, like the master is waiting on top of the hill and I have to climb the mountain, you know, and get up there. And then eventually I can be the master on top of the hill. You know, I'm still climbing that mountain and I I forever, I'm going to, you know, always push myself. And the idea that like, you know, leaving something behind because, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, there's photographers out there who are stupid successful, you know what I mean? And they're, you know, shooting weddings or, you know, whatever corporate stuff that they do and they'll make tons of money and probably be financially more successful than I'll ever be as a photographer. But if I can leave behind these objects, because, you know, billboards get taken down, magazines get thrown out, but, you know, people collecting your artwork and putting it into, uh, you know, I'm held in a few like private collections and things like that. So having work that's out there, that's collected, that's preserved, you know, like, you know, in a hundred years, there's a, a German photographer who made these beautiful portraits, the editorial, like the, this is like, he was a proto editorial photographer. His name is Hofstingel. And he would take pictures of these workers, you know, and I can go in there and look at his prints and they're still in amazing condition, but he had such a style and a vibe even back then. So like if in another hundred years when the museum's still here, you know, and there's a different fleet of people sort of leading the way. They can take my plates out of the archive and say, like, well, look, this was Nick Brandreth. You know, he was a early 21st century photographer, yep. you know, and I want to be able to write books and, you know, articles, like scholarly kind of stuff, but, yep. you know, still keeping my, you know, who I am, you know, because I want other people to be excited about photography, but I'm trying to leave behind, you know, I don't want to just leave a mark you know, on the, the scene, you know, and be like, you know, it'd be great to be an Abaddon type person, but, you know, I want to be a Fox Talbot, you know? Okay. <laughs> nice, man. <laughs> I like it, man. I, li- I like the excitement, Brandreth, and uh, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time to do this and looking forward to seeing uh, your project in October in the gallery. And um, Yeah, it's going to be at it's gonna be at Maker's Gallery, and uh, October 13th is the opening. Um, it's going to be in Rochester, New York. And like I said, we have a book that we made. Mm-hmm. We have a catalog of all the images that are going to be available that yeah. people could purchase. And, you know, it's, it's accessible. It's like they're not super expensive. You yeah. know, they're priced fairly, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I'm making the book, so that'll be a little cheaper. We made a short movie, and it's going to be a cool experience, man. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I'm going to keep pushing this stuff Further. I have an artist residency in January out in L.A., yep. and I'm going to kind of keep driving these ideas while I do that. So it's going to be dope. It's exciting, man. I'll link it and everything. And for people listening, um, if they want to check out some of your work, um, where's the best place to check you out? 
Uh, you can go to nickbrandreth.com, and it's B-R-A-N-D-R-E-T-H. Some people can't spell it, but yep. nickbrandreth.com, and I'm actually going to be updating it as I put this new work on the site, you know, kind of okay. make it look a little fresh, yep. and then at nickbrandreth on Instagram. Perfect. I'll link it on there, and thanks so much, Nick. Yeah, man, it's an honor, and I really, you know, so let's hang out soon. <laughs> I appreciate it. I'll cut it. I'll cut it there. So there you have it. That was the Nick Brandreth interview. I want to thank Nick so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It was a real pleasure getting a chance to speak with him about all the interesting work he does over at the George Eastman Museum. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, definitely go check out Nick's website at nickbrandreth.com, as well as his Instagram at nickbrandreth. And as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, as well as on my website, alexgagnephoto.com, and on my Instagram, at alexgagnephoto. Thanks so much for listening and take care.